So your, your first two singles were written by others, um, and then we get into the songs that, that you wrote or co-wrote. Um, I guess the first of those being Count Me In, another one that slowed the tempo down, but just another beautiful song. Give me a behind-the-scenes look at what went into writing that one. Yeah, that was, um, you know, a lot of that first record was written about my my high school boyfriend. Like, he was high school, college. We were, it was that thing where you worked together forever. Um, but then Count Me In came along after a breakup and I met my first husband actually and we were friends and you know going from this long relationship into this new person that I just met I didn't grow up with them and all that it was like the lyrics are just so spot on for that what I was where I was at the time that whole record really laid bare my life um and it says, could there be a different ending to the same old story? Because you're not the first to say you're going to be here for me. I need to know what's in your heart. Can you finish what you start? How can I be sure? You know, it it is just like standing on the precipice of jumping into another situation. But now it's with someone I, it's completely new. The other one I'd grown up with my whole life, you know. So it was like, well, heck yeah, let's just go for it. And... That's what Count Me In is about. And it's amazing because that lyric has maintained meaning in my life through a couple of marriages, you know, through being a single mother, through not going to church for 20 years and then getting close to God again and coming back around to my roots in my faith. I could sing that song to God and feel like it would be applicable. So it's just really beautiful what a song can do and how it can metamorphosize itself through all the seasons of your life. Yeah, that's why so many people can relate to your music and other great music. The fact that it can be applicable to many different situations, which allows people to jump on board and apply it to their own lives. I know I've done that myself. Um, same question as far as how do I get there, which was your next number one hit. You also co-wrote that one. I guess it's the same thing. It's like going into a relationship. Like, how can I, how do I get there from here? How do I make you see? How can I tell you what you're, what my heart's telling me? Like, I'm not the best communicator in relationships, or I wasn't, especially in my 20s. Goodness, who is? And <laughs> you want to get it right. And you want it to last and you don't want to make mistakes, you know, and I think in your twenties, you want to do things so perfectly. Like you're terrified of making the wrong move and your thirties, you probably learn that just making the move is the most important part, you know? And, uh, so yeah, that one I wrote with Chris Farron and wanted it to be a tempo and fun and feel good. Cause we, we're very good about sequencing records, so they feel like a little roller coaster ride, you know. And then I feel like we're very good at releasing, putting a lot of thought behind. We release a a ballad, then come out with a feel good song, you know. And it's the same with a live show; like we mirror the show as well with some mid to you know ballady, and then we go back up. And it's so important to really care about every step, every process. You know, every phase of it. And then 
did I shave my legs for this, although not your biggest hit, I think you couldn't have picked a better name for the album. Um, by the way, the album was five times platinum. has been just a, a monster success for you. But uh, did you know that you wanted to use that track as the title track for the album right away? Absolutely. <laughs> because I'm, <laughs> I grew up in Nashville, like a road kid, you know, and I knew what Nashville was doing at the time. They would do somebody's face and their name it was always a self-titled record for the most part on a first release because understandably in marketing they want you to like reiterate the face of the name the face of the name and I understood that um but it was just so uncreative to me it was like it counteracted what they wanted it to accomplish sometimes if the music wasn't you know memorable or if it just sounded like everybody else Mm -hmm. so I wanted the song, if nothing else, like for them to go, what is that album called? Like (laughs) you just couldn't like, you know, flick it off your desk or off of your, we had cassettes, remember? I mean, you put those in at the radio station to play your songs and like it barely fit on the cassette tape, Uh, (laughs) you know, whatever. It was just like, the last thing and the visual of my face on the record, my head was down and that's why we did the 3d album cover where it would come up and go down the limited edition initial release because I didn't want just my face. I wanted like, like if at the very least, just a little rebellion of my head being down was a big deal. Yeah. Um, those are things that I put thought and effort into knowing each step was going to make a difference. And I knew that in my heart. And that was just the culmination of growing up in the business, paying attention, you know, and wanting every choice to be deliberate. Again, unconventional and maybe even a little bit controversial. For sure. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. You know, if you're, if people aren't talking and I'm not one to stir up trouble, that's a different thing, but it's okay to go left when everybody's going right. Like march to the beat of your own drummer. I just, that is probably my biggest fear in life is that I would just fall in with everybody else and just disappear. Um, But it's different to be respectful, you know, lawful, mindful, all those things. You can still stand out and be unique and be respectful, which is what I feel like was the true mastery of the whole thing was there was a formula that you needed to respect, but within that formula, you could still find ways to be creative and, you know, stand out. Now the typical country fan may not know this about you, Dina, or, or maybe they do. I don't know, but I I was unaware until I read it earlier today that uh, you wrote You and Tequila for Kenny Chesney, which was Grammy-nominated back in, like, 2012, um, top five single, I think, for Kenny. Really good song. Um, Tell me about that. How would you get hooked up with Kenny on on that song? Thank you. Well, I wrote that with Matresa for my 2002-3 album um, for Arista. I'm Just a Girl that I talked about a minute ago. 
it was an album track and we put it on my record. So I recorded it first and you guys can find that on iTunes. I think the album's called I'm just a girl. Okay. And it's, we did it like a Tracy Chapman. I wanted it to sound like fast car by Tracy Chapman a little bit. Like the lick at the top of the song when we're writing, it was like that pulling it up to the top of the guitar and all. Um, but yeah, I did it on that tour. So I went on tour with Kenny and Keith that summer of 2003. And every day we would, when we had sound check order in the show, Kenny and Keith would come out for you and tequila. They would come sit at the soundboard and watch us do that song. And then they would go back and get ready for their show. And just fast forward 10 years later, Kenny recorded it. Um, Matresa had done a male demo of it with a male singing it and and pitched it and he recorded it and we were so close to a number one it was a number two and they were up for the last week of ads um, and I think it was Luke Bryan it was somebody else that was up there I can't remember and it was just you know how they do at the labels they're like well are you going to go for another week or are we and they'll agree like I mean, you know, that's a whole nother interview, but, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, you know, the deal, but they decided to pull it at number two. We were so, ah. so disappointed because that was just like, what? If you just look at one more week, it's going to go number one. But a number two is just as good as a number one in my book. And we got to, we were nominated for Grammys and CMAs and ACMs and AMAs and like all these crazy amazing award shows again and it had been an exact decade since she and I were nominated for the first round so it was just so cool and we did win an MSAI the songwriters award from the community of the song I wish I'd written from the Nashville songwriting community which is like an Oscar you know for songwriters so it was a huge honor Really cool. And I'd love it. Thank you. I'm so proud of that song. And as a songwriter, I think that was very important to have a song that was a hit, you know, that was recorded by somebody else because it just legitimizes your ability to do it, I guess. It's just so awesome. And speaking of Kenny, he's one of those artists who were making hits in the 90s and still making hits today. Mm-hmm. Who were some of your favorite 90s artists that that you came up with that that you really enjoyed listening to well i my biggest break was with alan jackson you know i toured with him for two years right out of the gate and that was a big part of my record we were doing arena tours all over the place and he took me on board and that was great i mean that was an amazing experience and the artists that Meant a lot. I mean, Brooks and Dunn, always kind. <laughs> I look back at artists like John Barry, even, that mm. put me on shows, you know, early on. Um, Blackhawk, they were super supportive. And you talk about unconventional with Blackhawk, too. I mean. Yeah. They were so kind to me. Everybody was so kind like that. There were only a few. There was like <laughs> maybe one or two in particular that weren't. And out of all of those people, and those bands didn't last really, you know, because 
you just don't if you're not respectful and kind. And so Alan was huge in that regard. But I just look back at all the fun I had with, like, God, Jody Messina. We had so much fun on tours that we would be on. And, like I said, Brooks and Dunn and um, Vince Gill and Reba. I mean, all of them. Martina, I did shows with Faith Hill and Tim. (laughs) (laughs) And... I could, everybody on the 90s roster pretty much was awesome. It was an amazing, amazing time, and Dina was one of the best from that amazing time. Dina Carter, our <laughs> guest tonight. Dina, is there anything else you'd like to add? I know you got a ton of fans here in Southeast Missouri, Southern Illinois, who are listening, so if there's anything you'd like to say to them, now's your chance. Oh, my gosh. Well, obviously, I could talk to y'all, like, for the whole, through the weekend, which would be amazing. <laughs> um, but I just... Above all, from the bottom of my heart, I just, I have to say thank you. And I'm so thankful that you still love my music and that you come to the shows. And I can't wait till we can wrap our arms around each other again and do that in person because it's so important that God created us to be in community with each other. And we need to do that. And on top of that, just be safe take care of you and your own and know that you're loved and we'll see you on the flip side. It's Dina Carter. She had us all in the palm of her hand from her first single and she still does. Such a sweetheart. This is the Honky Tonk Time Machine on K103.